0: Welcome to another episode of Notes and Notables with your host, Trenton Petrie. Let's get ready to dive into another day's worth of educational topics. So come on in, take a seat, school is in session. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, Welcome to the first episode of Notes and Notables. My name is Trenton Petrie and I'm the host. I am here with our very first guest of our very first episode, uh, Miss Kelly Scott. She is the Dyslexia Intervention Specialist. How's it going Miss Scott?
1: It's going good. I'm so excited that I get to be your groundbreaking interview.
0: Great. Mm. Uh, can you just tell us real quick about your background in education mm. and, and your job title, and what it is that you do at our school?
1: Okay. Um, so when you ask for that background, do you want like the whole, like, cause, um, in education you get to trade hats a lot, like as often as you want until you kind of find your niche. Do you want every hat I've ever put on or like, what do you want?
0: Uh, let's just start. So I know that you were like an ELA teacher. So let's just start like where you went to college. Okay. Um, what you major in? Things like that. And, uh, kind of like, um, what led you to where you're currently are. Oh.
1: Okay. All right. So that's that's a nice long story. So I've always been obsessed with literature. I've always been creative writing. It, it's just always been a passion of mine, and I've always been a reader, like just avid. You would always find me with a book in my hand, never jumping on the trampoline, was laying on it with a blanket and a book. Um, <laughs> so when I went into college, I did community college. I gobbled up every literature course I could take and in fact I obsessively took this one professor's I think she was so sick of me by the time I finally left well then you know your time at junior college ends and I ended up getting into UT yes and I began as a um a literature major And the further I got into it, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. I can see that. And so I was like, what really what, where is my passion with this? And it was stories. And I'm like, okay, well, I love children's stories. And so I was like, maybe that's something to pursue. And I ended up heading into early education and, um, That kind of started everything. So while I was out at UT, this is like a long story, we had different um, teaching cohorts you could get into. Well, I got put into the reading specialization one, which everyone said it's the hardest one. It went really into the nitty gritty of um, phonemic awareness, the science behind reading instruction, what the brain does, what the actual steps are, and like what to look for. So I did that. Got out, started teaching elementary in Pasadena, and one of my interns was a reading recovery teacher. She was a past reading recovery, which is the strongest intervention you can give to kids. And once I watched her teach, I was obsessed. I was like, I want to do that. Okay, fast forward a couple years, went to Deer Park, was still in first grade, and was offered the chance to become reading recovery. So I took that training, just absolutely became obsessed with it, Um, did that for a couple years, and then I decided I think I maybe want to go closer to home. Uh, So I went to Clear Creek. While I was there, they kind of saw my background because Deer Park was so good about training us and everything. Um, While I was there, they were like, do you want to be instructional coach for the campus? And I said, sure. And so I did that for a year, decided I missed the classroom, went back to Deer Park. So now I'm back in first grade. Okay, uh did one year there, then they asked me to go to second grade, and that's when we started departmentalizing at the elementary level. So I only taught reading, writing, social studies. Okay. And so again, I got to hone in my skill, and I was constantly starting PLCs on campus where I was like, hey, let's dig into shared reading. Let's see how we can become professionals on this. That all happened, and again... Um, I decided to make a change, but it looks like we're going to get to that later. I taught seventh grade English for a couple years at the junior high level and again was offered the instructional coaching position or I applied for it, ended up doing that and um, did that half day with teaching. And this opportunity opened up to go into dyslexia intervention, which was honestly my passion because it went back to that reading recovery type science Mm -hmm. and, uh, this is where I am. That was probably way longer than you meant it to be. I'm sorry.
0: It's co- totally cool. You totally cut it down. <laughs> that's that's right. All right. Well. Full backstory. That's right. Full backstory. <clears throat> that's that's what that's what we want. Uh, that's what I want. That way, people know I'm just not picking random people to to do these conversations with. Uh, it's it's people who are experts in their field. So.
1: Well, and I'm 18 years in, so I, you know, and it sounds like I wore a lot of hats, but I just kept digging deeper. and that's kind of what kept opening different doors and I couldn't I was always the type of teacher that was like I can't just barely do this I need to know the philosophy behind it I need to know the study what does the research say and what's the best way to do it right because I wanted to hit those marks and I wanted my kids to so
0: all right well as we get uh, going here Uh, We'll be getting into a bunch of topics and questions uh, with Mrs. Scott, and uh, so stay tuned. Okay, so now we're going to get into, uh, like, your teaching philosophy. Um, Can you describe that teaching philosophy and how it aligns with the needs of um, our middle school students that we have here?
1: So... um you know how when you first start teaching or when you're in college your senior year and they're like, write your teaching philosophy?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm pretty sure I Googled it <laughs> because I didn't know. Well, I didn't now, they know have, yet. now
0: they have chat GPT. And now we
1: have chat GPT, so we don't have to think for ourselves ever again. Um, <laughs> so I never really had one because it felt like writing a smart goal. You know? Right. And I always kind of hated smart goals too because I'm like, my goal is that these students know they're cared for. So they have a person wherever they go that they know one time this person cared about me. They know someone cares about what they're teaching mm-hmm. um, and honestly it's just there for them no matter where they're at. That was, I mean for me that's kind of the philosophy. I'm here. I'm here for you. I don't care how much you don't care because I care enough for the both of us and I'm going to push you whether you like it or not.
0: Yeah, understandable. Understandable. Um, so I know you talked a little bit about this, about your love for literature and and, and whatnot, but um, what motivated you to become like a, a middle school teacher specifically, or was it just like the timing of events in your life?
1: Yeah, it was the timing of events. I'm over here making a face because I'm like, this is not a glorious story. This is not a glamorous <laughs> story at all. This was a, oh gosh, I'm done. So. At some point, sometimes people reach their this place in their life where they don't even like getting up to go to work because they're just not fulfilled by it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. I, this is going to sound like a terrible thing. Once I had my son, I was mom all day long because I was mom to my students, and then I would get home. And, I mean, not just some students. To 25 students, I was mom, nurse, teacher counselor, whatever they needed. And then I would get home and I had this other very needy individual and I it just didn't suit my personality. And so I kept just like kind of getting grumpier and grumpier. And finally I was I realized I don't think I'm in the right place anymore. So I went to my principal at the time. I I love and adore her and I trust her so wholeheartedly that when she said this, I was like, no, but I'll do it because you said it. So I went to her, and I said, I think I'm done. And she goes, you are. Yeah. She goes, you are at this level. She goes, you've worn every hat you have to wear This here. was in what grade? This is when I went back to Parkwood, and I was a K through 2 teacher. OK, so
0: elementary age kids. So
1: yes, I was still in the elementary age. And the age.
0: younger elementary And age. the little,
1: little kids. Yeah. So yeah, which was honestly Ooh. one of my favorite campuses of all time. It was so magical, because the kids were so young. Um, anyways, uh, I just, you know, I always knew I'm not going to be a teacher that burns out and sticks it out. I'm going to find where I belong. So I went to my principal, had this conversation and she goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, high school. Like I love high school literature. I, I love studying it in college. I want to go back. And she goes, No you're a junior high teacher. And I was like, no, nobody likes junior high kids, not even their parents. I'm not going there. Like, I hated junior high personally. I never want to set foot back. And she's like, just give it a chance. And I was like, all right. So, you know, the door opened up, and I got the interview with Mr. Wegman, and here I am. And honestly, I will admit, I did cry the first two months. It was a very big transition. I bet. Um, until I, I, I broke through to just the right kids and I realized I was in the right place. So that's how I found my place here.
0: Yeah. That's kind of, I have a similar story or not really a story, but similar path. Everybody who knew me coming out of college was like, Trent's going to, Trenton wants to teach high school. He doesn't want to teach junior high, you know? And I, and I did, I, my first job was at high school. But then um, the band director here retired, and it was a chance to come home, to be kind of closer to, uh, uh, you know, to Kristen's family, my wife, and and to be in the school district that I went to and went through. And so um, I – and that was only in my second year. So in my second year of teaching ever, I took over this program here at Bonnet. And, man, I I love it. Like, I I mean, the first year, I was – I knew just enough to stay ahead of the beginners Mm -hmm. like a couple of days, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But, um, but man, I, I, that first year was treading water. But then after that, it's gotten a lot better. And uh, now I'm like, I tell, I tell all of the student teachers we have and, and, and the young college kids like, you have to do middle school band at least for a couple of years. So you really learn how to teach the music instruments. Cause when you go to high school, you know, high school, you might say, Hey, um, flutes I need you to play this shorter but in middle school you have to tell them how to play it Mm short you can't just say play it shorter Mm -hmm. you got to tell them how and so being a a a teaching beginner band it forces you to really know the intricacies of teaching all of those different instruments yeah yeah um so can you name a teacher or teachers that have had maybe an impact on you growing up that led you to your teaching profession or or even uh like how you teach like did you have a teacher that? I was like, man, I, I really want to teach like them.
1: Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, so growing up, I would say the teachers that kind of jumped out the most were in elementary. There was Mr. Cradle. I didn't have Mr. Cradle, but everyone wanted Mr. Cradle because he was the guy that you could sit around his room to read. He was the guy that he let you turn your chair over and you could sit in it backwards. Like, that's such a big deal. In fifth grade, it was Mr. Liao. Mr. Liao was, and I mean, that's kind of shocking because it's males in an elementary. Right, right, right. And so um, Mr. Liao was all about like, um, like he would do whole group, but then he was all about almost like station type work. Okay. And it was just so different for, I guess, the 90s that you, you, it, it was just awesome because it's like, I don't just have to sit at my desk. I'm working. I'm collaborating. It was, it was really a jump into that. And I don't know what education looked like at that time because I was 10. Right. Um. So, but the fact that that type of collaboration and activity was happening was amazing.
0: So <clears throat> looking back on that experience, do you think that kids nowadays, say middle school kids, because that's who we deal with, work better in a more of a rotation type where they have to get up and move? Or do you think that having them in like stationary, like wherever the teacher puts them, that's where you're gonna be like what do you think, as far as like placing kids in the classroom, has to do with like their their learning ability
1: um I think it's it's huge and it needs to be considered at all times, and I think it's different depending on the classroom mm-hmm. and the activity in the classroom so I think that all kids, whether they're kindergarten to seniors, thrive on structure. I think knowing exactly what's coming, knowing the expectations, you get better performance. And so um that's huge. However you need to build in the time to break up monotony. Right. There's a yes, time yes. when class becomes monotonous and it's like, okay, we got to shake things up. And you
0: kind of have to know your kids. Mm-hmm. And when, when, like when you start looking at the class as a whole and going, all right, I see a lot more glazed faces than, yes. I, than I normally see or more sleepy faces mm-hmm. and body language. And, so that, and I think that takes time in the profession to know you don't just come out of college knowing how to read middle school's body language. No, uh, or you, any. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, and as you get older and you get more experience in the classroom, you, you tend to know their body, your class's body language. And you go, all right, now I think, uh, I think tomorrow would be a great idea to uh, do like a, a rotation type, type mm-hmm. assignment or something. Or go out in the hall and do a, uh, uh, what do you all call them? Um, Scoots, yeah.
1: Carousel, yeah. Uh, Gallery walk, gallery walks. That's yeah. the word I was
0: looking for. Yeah, and and that would kind of get them move and get the blood pumping a little bit. So cool, good.
1: I try to always have at least one get up and move activity in my classroom because um, they sit too much. Yes, there's right. a lot of very traditional teachers, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I've been to a six hour training where I've had to sit all day, and I'm not in a good mood. I'm very like it it's just not a positive experience. Like we have to shake things up for them. I
0: don't I don't really know if the human body was made to sit for like extremely, yeah. For like that that uh, that amount of hours per day. Right? And
1: then to ask children to do that adolescents no less with an insane amount of energy, even right. though people may not believe they do, they do. Yeah. Um I mean in uh coming back to teachers that just meant a lot to me. Um in high school there was a biology teacher. I can't remember her last name, but she was also my swim coach growing up, so I'm gonna call her Coach Barbie. <laughs> coach Barbie was a biology teacher and same thing. Um very relaxed, very clear expectation classroom, used to love her snakes out. They just slither around on the floor. Everything was fine. Um
0: Wait, like real snakes? Yeah. Like during biology yeah
1: and they were fine no there were some that were like total i i'm not i'm okay with
0: snakes i'm not a snake person
1: oh i didn't mind but you know this was the class where we did like all the dissecting and all like so it was constantly collaborative and she broke it up so there was some lecture there was some collaboration there was lab it was everything and i just you know that's another teacher that stood out to me and the final one is the college one that I obsessed and just glorified every, like I devoured every course she would teach. Um, Sadly, she ended up uh, passing away the last year I was there. Um, But just the way she would talk about history and literature, and it was in a way I'd never heard any teacher talk about stories. And so she was kind of the one that was painting the way of, I want to continue down this path of storytelling. Okay. So she kind of was that one. Um, And then finally, just to talk about some current people in the field, um, there's a teacher uh, I've noticed that I've gotten to watch the last couple years who just blows me away. Their tone, their timing, their management, their vocabulary explanation, their making – like they do everything. They've checked every box off. And I just adore that teacher. Um, And the second one is actually a – she's still teaching but she's a librarian and she's a professor at uhcl and i had the privilege of partner teaching with this person and again their tone the way they spoke um it just and the way they broke it down in such a meaningful way Mm -hmm. was so amazing to get to see and i just always knew break it down don't ever assume always break it down pick everybody up with it so Okay. It was good stuff.
0: All right. When we come back, we're going to be diving into teaching into the classroom, teaching in the classroom, and classroom management. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back, and uh, now we're going to dive into actually teaching in the classroom and some classroom management. Uh, so, Ms. Scott, can you, uh, how do you implement differentiated instruction to meet the diverse learning needs of our middle school students? Um,
1: in terms of, like, instructional uh, diversity, I, a really big thing for me was getting the right text in the kids' hands. And that involved getting to know the kid and getting to know what they may actually read. Um, so that was a really big one for me. But the other thing that I always gained the most, um, I just the most ground with is conferencing. Anytime my kids were reading silently, I was out there talking to them. I was coaching to them. What did you just read about? Talk to me about this. Da, 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 da. Um, then when it came to independent work, I'm out there. And when you do that, you get to know your kids at such a point that you're not trying to get them from level seven to a hundred in a day. You know the stepping points and because of my background, I do know the foundation of, you know, all the way down to first grade of what these junior high kids should be doing. And so I'm able to take them one step at a time to get them to that grade level expectation. But that all came from just talking to them, getting to know them as readers and writers And myself knowing the reading and writing processes, ins and outs, and what it should look like.
0: Okay. Are there specific tools or platforms? Because I know we're a a one-to-one school district here in Deer Park, and so all of our kids have have iPads. Uh, Are there specific tools or platforms or apps uh, you find particularly effective for uh, your students when it comes to technology or or when it comes to uh, the uh, instruction that you are teaching?
1: Our number one was always Canvas. Canvas is a nice, like, openly housed place that kids can access assignments. Uh, I did a lot of video embedding, um, especially during the 2020 time. Uh, lots of videos that showed kids how to do it. So it would be me lecture, me show, and then me trying to help them out. Um, even when they came back, because we had that period where it was some were remote and some right. were in person. So you didn't have a choice. You had to do both. And so um, Canvas was really nice for that. Notability, it's a nice binder type situation. The only problem is that sometimes if it got wiped, everything was gone. It didn't always back up to the cloud. Um, and I hate to admit this. Because we are a one-to-one district, but there came a point where we honestly would go back to the old school paper-pencil because it was easier to manage. And honestly, a lot of kids preferred it.
0: I mean, it, yeah, because I mean, kids will forget their iPad. It, they won't be charged or, <clears> you know, or it'll be frozen or, you know, have to reset it or it's not updated. You know, there's you can't really uh, unfreeze or update paper and pencil, you know.
1: Well, a lot of them would complain that they were tired of looking at it all day.
0: Yeah, I could see like eye strain.
1: Absolutely, and so you know, I wear a pair of glasses, and the pe- and everybody's always like, "I didn't wear glasses," and I'm like, "Oh, they're blue light," and it's on my days where I am looking at the computer a lot because I go home with a horrible headache on those days. So yeah. we we went back to paper pencil, and the kids preferred it.
0: Uh, when it comes to uh, assessment and feedback, how do you assess your students' progress throughout the school year from, you know, when you first meet them? Uh, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about, like, what you do at the very beginning of the year to kind of assess where they are and then what you do um, throughout the school year to kind of reassess where they are at different points throughout the year?
1: Okay. Well, we had um, – we definitely had, like, kind of pre-assessments because we always want to know, like, what can you do, what can you do. And we never wanted to over test, but we wanted to know where are the kids. Um, we would dig into their data from the year before. Unfortunately, it's one piece of data and mm-hmm. we can't take that as a solidity. And so um, we would try and give them pre-assessments to find out what they are. That way we could skip over what they did know, get reach further to what they need to know. Um, but again... A lot of it came from those pre-assessments, looking at past data, but then the research come from, comes from the conference, and it comes from the in-class observations. Just in that one conversation, I've learned eons more about this student than I would have of just having him in a class because I've had a one-on-one conversation with him, and he's not allowed to hide. Right. And so once I found that out, and I would keep – a clear record of notes of my kids. And they were always like, can we read what you wrote about us? Cause they would see it in notability. And I say, absolutely. And some of them didn't like what they read. And I was like, (laughs) you didn't like, it was behavior stuff. And I was like, you didn't like it, but was it true? And they said, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Right. So, I mean, yeah, but that constant checking in with them on their writing and even just looking at their writing told me everything about it. And I just, that conference I can't even tell teachers how powerful it is like get out there and talk to your kids while they're working and take notes about it but also know the process yourself in your field
0: right so you would probably so you would it's kind of safe to say that you think that probably if that that could be a top three thing that every like new teacher coming into the profession should do is get out there and like don't sit behind your desk after you that's right after you've like here's the assignment kids and then i'm gonna sit behind and like if you need questions come ask come me to me yeah no, no you no, go to them that's right because because they're they not they won't come they, to you they, they, they're so like no, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be that kid that goes and talks to the teacher and like i need help or whatever yeah. but if you go up to them and like kneel down and go hey is everything okay they may be like well you know i need you know can you help me me with this. Oh, okay, cool. And then you can help them. And if and then of course, because you never know if five people have the same question, well, then maybe we just need to re-go over that as a class.
1: Well, and that's another thing that you know I've I've been afforded so many opportunities because of the district and our training. And one of them was how to give proper conferences. So we learned the one-on-one conference. Well, a one-on-one conference, once you're at a table and you hear four other kids say, I don't know how to do that either, well, you've just turned a conference into a small group and you need to know when to do that you need to know like how to model it and but you need to know when to come into a student's work time and when to walk out of it like don't walk away when they're still guessing make sure they've got their feet on the ground then walk away and come back and check but i would highly recommend can i can i name a person behind conferencing that people could dig into go ahead um Gosh, if I can remember his name. Uh, he came to Creek when I was there. Um, aye, 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 aye. Uh, it's, it's. I almost want to say Ralph Fletcher, but I think it's somebody else. So that may not be the right Ralph or even Fletcher. But I, I'll have to give you that name so you can post it later or something. But um, dig into some books about conferencing because it can absolutely change your classroom and your teaching game. That's huge.
0: All right. So um, the other big thing that teachers have to face is classroom management. Um, How do you approach the classroom management to create a positive and inclusive learning environment?
1: Um, (laughs) That takes a lot of work and a lot of practice. I definitely had to trial and error my classroom. And I think that's true of all classrooms because you're going to have a different chemistry because of the blends of personalities. Right. Something that I have stuck to and it stayed tried and true are the love and logic rules. Um, I will treat you with respect so you know how to treat me. Feel free to do anything that doesn't cause a problem for anybody. If you do happen to cause a problem, I'll ask you to do fist. I'll ask you to fix it. If you choose not to fix it or refuse to, I will do something about the problem. And then the final rule is um, if you feel something is unfair, please come and talk to me about it privately. Okay. And so that has shown kids this is an equal balance. No one holds more power than others. Right. And they know I will not disrespect them unless they disrespect me. And still, if I were to disrespect them, it's in a respectful manner that calls them out. And so I've always tried to do that. The other thing is, and that's rehearsed honestly (laughs) for like the first nine weeks. Um, And the other big thing is I do not allow toxic behavior and I let them know the purpose of that classroom and it is to grow and learn. And I make sure daily, this is what we're doing. This is what it's going to look like in education. This is what it looks like in real life. So they know. But um, dis- like having the expectations, placing the love and logic rules, and then I don't allow toxic behavior. If you're going to come in and disrupt other people, we're going to have a problem because you're not allowed to steal someone's opportunity to learn yeah yes and so that's and the kids knew that was one of my biggest pet peeves and that is something that you will get kicked out of my room for and it rarely happened cuz it's not that big a fight right um the kids knew I don't engage in power struggles if they want to fight cool there's the door go take it up with the office i'll be here when you get back so again, it never happened because I wouldn't engage, right. and so they'd know why are you fighting with her? She won't fight back. Yeah, <clears throat> so that always worked out really well, and they weren't allowed to talk negatively about themselves or to each other. That absolutely, yeah, that's not. A, that's a
0: big t- that's a big one that I that I. i like, every nope. once in a while, especially when the kid before they kind of when they start to feel each other out as far as like you know they're they're at a junior high for the first time and and. They, uh, they don't really know each other. And so if somebody, you know, like in our world, if somebody messes up a note or whatever, they turn around, they say something and it's yeah,
1: you're sarcastic. Yeah. 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 It's like, like,
0: what are are we doing? We're on the same team here. You know, Mm -hmm. we have the same goal. We have the same, you know, thought process here that we're trying to do, whether it's in math, ELA, band, whatever. Um, but yeah, just like kids putting, trying to put other kids down, you Mm -hmm. know, it's just, I don't, I don't really allow that. And, 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 uh don't really understand why would why would why would a student want to put down another student that's beyond me but again that that was never my personality growing up you know
1: um I mean I do it with my friends in fact students have seen me do it and I'm like and they're like well you do it and I'm like you're right I do but it's with my adult friends you're not involved in it and um we don't like put tear each other down in a way that we refer to names and stuff, and so I don't know we've had really good conversations, but I would say that those are the big staples that keep a classroom becoming a safe, healthy environment because I've had multiple students come back and tell me you made our classroom feel like a family
0: and you do you do a lot of this uh. These a lot of these strategies for classroom management starting on day one.
1: Oh, extremely. So it starts day one, and so day one the relationship starts. Right. Okay. It's rocky at first. You have to get to know them. You can't roll your, your eyes yet at the ridiculous things they say. <laughs> Um, but you also have to set very clear boundaries at the beginning with the way they talk to you and just, oh, no, you can't talk to me that way or, oh, you can't talk to them that way in here. That's how you can talk to each other at lunch or the hallway, but I don't, mm-mm, there's too much toxicity in this world and I can't have it in here. Right. So that's a big thing, but um, one of, I think what makes everything work is your relationship. If you don't have a relationship... Nothing is happening there. There's no growth. There's like the kid doesn't care because you don't care about them. So relationship and the other one is you can't give up because that one kid is going to push you so hard to get you to give up. And when they see you don't and that every day they get a new chance, you won. You won. And so are they because now they have someone in their court. They have someone they know that cares And they're willing to try now. I have a student that it took till now to win him over, to have that relationship with him, and he honestly tells me, at my other schools, they didn't care. They didn't try. They gave up. I was so surprised when I got here and saw how much y'all care about me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a a big thing, relationships, because if, like you said, I mean, if the kids know that you care about them they're going to care about what you have to say. That's right. And they're going to care about what you want them to do. And 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 that also the better relationship you have with them, the more you can push them. And you know that's like right. no no I know how good you yep. can be. You're going that's not good enough for me and it shouldn't be good enough for you. Let's try a little harder. I know you can do it. And it and it allows them to go, "Man, I can't he's, they're not giving me an inch because nope. but they expect so much out of me." That's right. You know, I I tell my kids you know I want them to be so have so much success that they don't even know what to do with do with it you know that they just have just success coming out of their pores you know with with whatever it is in my case you know music and band but just in general like I want you to have so much success that you just don't know what to do with it and it, that comes from establishing those relationships mm-hmm. and and asking about their life not just like in, right. in your subject, but like, Hey, you know, what do you like to do? Oh, you know, cause I like, especially with like sixth graders around here, they'll wear during the fall, they'll wear their football jerseys, like mm-hmm. their deer park, um, tigers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can a- start asking like, what position Seminoles. do you play? Yeah. Or the Seminoles, like what position do you play or whatever? And you know, what do you like to do outside of school? How is your family doing? You know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, that i think plays huge dividends when you start asking about things outside of your class and even school then they start man this person really cares about me not just because i'm in their class but i guess they're cuz they're a good human you know i mean they they want to know about my likes and dislikes outside of school instead of just what i'm doing in school and you know and yeah, and, and I've gone to my students. I've gone to classes when they're not doing very well to just like sit in on you know mm-hmm. with them, you know, or look. I have at, too. You know, and it's just and they like, act
1: very different when you're yeah, in the room. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. They're like you know, especially when you get there the before they tells
1: do. You and they're like they were not the same kid today, and it's like yeah, mm-hmm. And they
0: get know. There, <laughs> yeah, you get there before they get there. Then when they walk in that door, you're already sitting by their desk. And they, they're they like, uh, and you're like, mm. yep, yep, you've done messed up and come have a seat. Let's go. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, that's the best day ever in that class.
1: Well, and coming back to the relationship and getting to know them, that's a two-way streak. They want to get to know you too. And honestly, the more they do get to know you and see what a human you are, mm-hmm. they do love you more. Um, I think one of the biggest things that was always the hook, line, and sinker when I taught ELA is – the personal narrative, I always wrote about the hardest thing that I had ever been through. Um, and as soon as I brought that topic up and they heard my story, they immediately were like, it's time for me to open up and face this. And, and th- that's where I feel like other core subjects are kind of at a disadvantage because they don't get to hear the open up side of them that the ELA teachers hear unless you take the time to stop and have that relationship. And it's so hard when you have a huge curriculum to teach. Yeah. So I, I mean, I get the struggle.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so getting into the end of this here, can you, can you like as an ELA teacher, can you just tell us real quick, um, what is like the what is a couple of books that you've read oh gosh. as of late that you really really like?
1: Okay, well, I've reread Harry Potter the whole series twice, um, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Um, and then the other one is uh, Full Tilt. That's by Neil Schusterman. He's a little new on the young auth- the the young adult author. But, and Full Tilt is not even his most popular one. I would say his more popular ones are the Unwind series or the uh, Scythe series. But Full Tilt is kind of a mind-boggler. I recommend that. And then kind of more of my favorite artists or authors. So I'd say Mindy McGinnis. Um, She writes Very Dark and Twisted, Love. And then Riley Sager, also a lot of thriller twist type books.
0: Okay. And then lastly, because it's just... You know, to end the podcast, a uh, fun question. Uh, what is the top five movies you have ever watched?
1: Um, I hate that question, and I don't know how to answer that. So instead, I wrote down some of my favorite, like, director-creators. Okay. Because um, I can't. I can't give you, like, the top few because there's so many. Um, And you go through, like, phases uh-huh. where you're like, I'm going to watch this every night for a month, and then I'm not going to watch it for two years. Uh, so favorite directors... And writers M. Night Shyamalan.
0: Okay. Obsessed.
1: Yeah. Again, with the Signs twist. And- I like things with twists. Yeah. Um, and his are always so philosophical. They tie back to such a human nature. Um, Hayao Miyazaki is a um, anime artist out of Japan. He is like the Walt Disney of Japan. In fact, Disney picked up a lot of his stuff and had it redone and Americanized uh, with American actors. Um, so him, love his animated stuff. And then I'm really obsessed with Dune right now. With what? Dune. Oh, okay. The movie yeah. Dune. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So never saw the original, but the new one I rewatched probably, it's like my fall asleep movie and just getting into the, you know, but all that, um, Rebel Moon, Star Wars, all of it, they all have this deep, you know, storytelling. And right, so right. anything like that, I'm in it.
0: Cool. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Miss Scott, for coming on the podcast and being the very first uh, <laughs> guest of the uh, new podcast, Notes and Notables. And uh, and thank again, thank you for your time. And um, I hope you have a good weekend because it is Friday.
1: Yes. All
0: right, people. Uh, join us next time. We'll see. Bye bye. This has been another episode of Notes and Notables with your host, Trenton Petrie. Join us next time as we dive into another set of educational topics with a brand new guest. But until then, school's out.